Love what you hear? Be sure to check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash finish the fight for exclusive episodes, insights, and even our D&D adventure. This is Spartan 117. Anyone hear me? Over. Isolate that signal. Master Chief, you mind telling me what you're doing on that ship? Sir, finishing this fight. Welcome back to Finish the Fight, a Halo podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Reiners. And I'm your host, Alex Kendall. And as always, let's go through some of the updates that have been going on with, I guess, Microsoft and Halo, you know, within the past couple of weeks. Yeah, there's been a, there's been a number of it. Obviously, we're seeing some old hands coming back to Halo, specifically on Infinite. We got Joe Statton coming back, you know, working his wizardry, mm-hmm. um, as well as certain affinity. So... If you want to speculate, that could mean we got some multiplayer issues to deal with, even total story issues to deal with. But we honestly won't know unless some of that stuff is revealed later on. But just know that obviously there's stuff that has to be improved. Yeah. And, you know, you have people coming back that, you know, Matt Hoberman from Certain Affinity who basically invented Halo 2 multiplayer Mm -hmm. on his own. And then Joe Statton who did cinematography for some of the games, wrote, you know, ODST and wrote Halo 2. So it's going to be pretty incredible to see what kind of contribution they can make to Halo Infinite. But we also had some Funko Pops that had leaked that Mm -hmm. then eventually Microsoft made official and said, you know, these are the next batch of them. Yeah, and we're seeing that a lot more just in the gaming community. If a leak comes out, just own up to it. I mean, mm-hmm. we just had a leak with the Xbox Series S pricing at two ninety nine, which is a fantastic intro. And there was other speculations around Pringles, you know, kind of leaking it. <laughs> but they're saying it's a template. But who knows? But I love, you know, Microsoft and Xbox's response to it. They're just like, oh, here you go. I guess this is, you know, what it is. Yeah, because there's no point in holding off. Like, if we know, we know. The, the old days of PR are over. Of trying to cover up and be like, mm, yes, but uh, actually... Twitter is PR now, oh, essentially. It, it is, and that's where you get a lot of your info to pull from, and just own it and go with it. So a little bit of info on the new Xbox, a little bit more info with Halo, but we're just going to keep rolling with it. Yeah, and with that being said, let's get to the meat and potatoes of today's episode. We are covering Moral Dictata. We are covering the final book in the Kilo 5 trilogy. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the book itself. Halo Moral Dictata is the 13th book in the Halo universe and the final book in Karen Travis's Halo 5 trilogy. The book dives deeper into the Spartan 2 program and the impact it had on families whose children were abducted. It was released January 21st, 2014 and published by Tor Books containing 496 pages. 496 meaty pages. I think this is actually one of the, the... uh, longest books that it, there is. Oh, it is. Let me tell you, audiobook-wise, it was. Yeah. A new version was released April 2019, published by Simon & Schuster, containing an additional 48 pages. Had to break that 500 mark. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, and I'll give you a little bit, uh, little tidbits on Karen Travis again, if you didn't already know. She is an English writer, a former TV and newspaper reporter, defense correspondent, advertising copywriter, police media spokeswoman, and a public relations manager. So as we've talked about before, she's kind of had her hands in every pot and knows kind of 
every side of the line, I guess mm-hmm. you would say, from working corporate to working more of that personal kind of grassroots newspaper aspect of it. So she knows her way to write some PR. She should be on Xbox right now. That's <laughs> what we're saying. Uh, and she's written books, you know, in the universes of Halo, Gears of War, G.I. Joe, Star Wars, and Batman Arkham. Yeah. So let's talk about writing the book itself. There's not too much information out there, but I did find some cool little tidbits uh, from an interview with Karen Travis. Travis chose the title of the book, Moral Dictata, because she felt that the Spartans are the elephant in the room and wanted to focus on the impact that kidnapping the children for the Spartan 2 program had on the rest of the universe. So the phrase moral dictata is mentioned in Halsey's journal, but never expanded upon. So after she had confirmed it with 343 that they're like, we really, you know, that was just something we, we threw just, in. We just started making up mumbo jumbo. <laughs> she was like, awesome. So she actually made, or she defined what moral dictata really is. And also Travis wanted to see how far she could push the two ODSTs, Mal and Vaz, to test their quote-unquote loyalty to the UNSC and Oni, which is a, a scene we'll talk about later in the book. Yes, and and what what? Let me just start this off, just saying what a powerful book and what a powerful scene that Jesse's referring to. Yes, that wrapped this trilogy up in a way I never truly expected. Well, it was such a different direction than mm-hmm. even the first two books, but we're we're getting ahead of ourselves. Mm-hmm. Finally, I do want to wrap this up with saying the epilogue of the book gave Karen Travis closure. Yes, and, and I can definitely see that because you can see a bit of her writing of herself into a character, and I think that's really where she kind of like taps it out Yes, at, at the end with just a really beautiful monologue uh, by one of the characters that really surmises what happened in this whole book and gives an idea on really the morality of, mm-hmm. of this entire project and kind of what the UNSC and ONI need to do going forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So with with all that out of the way, let's jump into the summary of Moral Dictata. Mm-hmm. And Moral Dictata starts in, in the very early years before the Human Covenant War, during the Spartan II kind of selection process. Mm-hmm. It starts about 2517 or so. And we're actually getting this this monologue from Naomi's dad, mm-hmm. Stefan Senska. Yep. And it, it's it's really great because it's basically this whole talk about you know how can the universe kind of kind of take this away from me, you know you know I I did what I could for this and it, it's really interesting too because it's it's kind of comparing his modern day because this is kind of a modern day response to what happened yeah. in the past. But it starts with him putting together this doll's house, painting these chairs. He's all doing it by himself, painting chairs, mm-hmm. laying these little, little rugs down, you know, making this perfect little dollhouse by hand. And it, you know, and it goes on with a little interpersonal relationship with his wife saying, do you think she'll like it? Do you, you really see he's a proud dad mm-hmm. and he just wants to impress this girl. And he goes on and on about how Naomi is one in a billion. Mm-hmm. She, she's way too smart. Her teachers think that she cheats. Because she knows way too much, way too fast, and 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 it is so far accelerated, and it's it's such a beautiful kind of father daughter moment of just his dad like gushing yeah. on his kid. Yeah, and it's it's you know he even talks about Naomi wanted this this dollhouse, but he was a, he's a factory worker or something. They couldn't really afford it, so mm-hmm. that's why he's he's making this dollhouse because. He wants to give her whatever she wants, no matter what he has to do. And that if he has to build that dollhouse, he has to do it. Mm-hmm. But it, it then kind of dives into 
all of a sudden they're wondering, well, where's Naomi? Well, she should be back from school by now. She took the late night bus. And I, I remember uh, Stefan even said, you know, she'll take the bus. I, I don't need to pick her up. She's a smart girl. She can get back here on time. Yeah. Now, now mind you, this this is, you know, in a colony world, they have, you know, Swedish descent. They're kind of like this Swedish part, I guess, is the best way mm-hmm. to put it. And she's only six, but they live in like a smaller village and they're like, She's she's smart. She she knows how to take the bus. She knows how to get home. It'll be okay. Yeah, and eventually it, that panic starts to set in. Of like, you know, they start making phone calls, and they're like, "Well, the bus left. They thought maybe the bus was delayed. They're like, bus left and it's dropped everyone off. So mm-hmm. now it goes into this panic mode where the parents go out and they start looking for Naomi because they don't know what to do. And and Stefan even starts having this this, you know, inner monologue talking about how he'll never be able to forgive himself if mm-hmm. if he he him not picking her up, all of a sudden she's, you know, gone missing and he's already playing the scenarios of her getting kidnapped by some creep and whatnot. And and to find out, you know, they're both freaking out about it. And what is the next morning? They they She's found. Yes. I believe it's 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 either like really, really early morning. Cause I don't think either of them really slept. Mm-hmm. But it, it was just, you know, you know, the, the, the local police came out, neighbors, flashlights, just mm-hmm. you know, the whole thing of if someone goes missing. Yeah. And yeah, they, it was what, a couple towns over or something? Yeah. They, they like she didn't know how she got there. Mm-hmm. I think she was just wandering and someone found her and took her to the hospital. They did tests on her. She wasn't injured or anything like that. It's just she seemed a little foggy, but the doctor said, you know, she's perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. But this is where all of a sudden Staffan instantly starts noticing something weird. He starts bringing up like the dollhouse and this other thing that she wanted for her birthday. And she just kind of seemed confused by it. She was just kind of like or not even excited. He's like, oh, there's that dollhouse you want. She's like, OK. Yeah. And, and she kind of questioned like, oh, what do you mean? Mm-hmm, yeah. and, and he even brought up because the gift. So he he ends up feeling guilty and and doesn't want her to be disappointed in his dollhouse he's making. So he buys her this like planetarium solar system you can you can scatter on the ceiling, yeah. basically like light projection. And he's like, oh, I, I got this for you. So I hope she's okay. And she's like, well, why? Mm-hmm. And he's like, what do you mean? Well, why? And then he starts to grill her a bit more and is like, well, do you remember what happened? She's like, no. I'm just here. Mm-hmm. And, and he starts to eventually start making this conclusion that this isn't my daughter. Like, Mm-mm. this is a, a girl that looks like my daughter. This is not my daughter. And we start seeing conflict between him and his wife. And it even goes in to describe how it's like he's accepted that this is not my daughter, but this is a little girl. So he dives into the fact that. I had to basically take care of this little girl because that's what she deserved. And it even talks about staying with her until she died because all those flash clones died. Yeah, because he was saying it was just odd. She had no medical issues. And and Stefan really carries this with them because not only that, in later years, you know, his wife ends up committing suicide over this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and Stefan puts both of these deaths on him that, you know, like you said, if he had just gone and picked her up, mm-hmm. just gone and picked her up. It would have been fine. And so we just really don't know what's happening. And that's kind of where we start this book off on this really, really heavy note. Yeah. And in this whole section we just went into, it, it goes in depth about mm-hmm. how he's feeling and everything that happens kind of leading up to, you know, make him the man that he is today. It, it is. And and we're, we're really getting our first introduction 
to Stefan and and who he is. We know a little bit about him in the previous book. We obviously saw him. You know, he's an insurrectionist leader. He's the the, the cream of the crop on this planet, and he's Naomi's dad. That's kind of all we knew. But we really mm-hmm. get this insight because he was the one that's been kind of Oni's problem for a little bit, a little bit because of what he wants to do and like take it take revenge. But it's because he knows a little bit too much. He's mm-hmm. a little too smart. Yeah, he 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 kind of is. There's no lines to read between, but he even finds the lines that are supposed to be hidden and mm-hmm. reads between those. And then we jump to present day, and this is kind of back to where we had Naomi and Mal on the ground. I believe it was. Mm-hmm. Is it either Naomi or Vaz? Naomi or Mal? I think it was Vaz. The Vaz. Either way, we had one of the ODSTs and her on the ground. And this was this was kind of referring back to the second book, Thursday War, uh, and, and talking about they saw her dad, they saw this stuff go on, and Naomi's like, you know what, I can still go ahead with the mission, like let's let's do it. And so they try and blend in. They go to a local bar, order some drinks. They get the worst bar snacks in the world that are just these like m- majorly hardened somethings. Yeah. It, well, don't they even talk about that they see uh, Kigyar in there as well? Yes. That was one thing that they were kind of surprised about that, you know, all these different alien races, human, Kigyar, Ungoy, are kind of all in this place together mm. and everyone's getting along as much as you can in like a a far off kind of smuggler world. It's kind of it's kind of like a uh, saloon in an old 1930s Western or mm-hmm. something. Or that doot, 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 doot place in Star Wars. I can't think of the name of that place. I don't know. It's that, whatever, Star Wars is a different topic. Villainy and scum and all that. I can't remember that. Someone's mm-hmm. going to correct us on this. I'm sorry, guys. But yeah, so, so it starts off with that, and they're picking up different words, because mm-hmm. they're doing this weird Spanglish is the best way to kind of describe that, where it's this Kigar language with some English with some like other random undiscovered Kigyar languages as well mixed in. And they end up figuring out where Staffan's places. Mm-hmm. And Naomi's like, listen, I, I need I need to do this. I need to go and see my place and, and see these things and because this is where the morality starts to really come up is do I talk to him? Do I meet him ever? Do we take him out? Do we take him prisoner? Do we leave him alone? But she's, I think, trying to formulate some humanity. Yeah. And, but she's still trying to play that. She has her guard up of, like, I can do this, though. Mm-hmm. Like, whatever we do, I can do it because mm-hmm. I'm a Spartan and he's a civilian. Like, it's all totally separate. But it, it, we start to see that slowly it's bleeding in that that connection that it is my father. So yeah. can I do what they need me to do? Mm-hmm. You can see your Spartan shield start to break down of mm-hmm. that stern face, like nothing you know, affects me. But we realize it's not really like a power move. It's so much more of a retreat mm-hmm. and kind of like trying to avoid dealing with anything. But they do end up making their way over to the house. And I love it, too, because Naomi has to come up with, like, 17 different tactic plans. Like, okay, if we hide in that bush, we'll just kind of look like bird watchers, basically. But if we go over here, we can do this thing and do this other thing. And, and, and this is this. And so finally, uh, ODST is like, just calm down. We'll just go up there. We'll see it and we'll go. Yeah. And this definitely overwhelms Naomi. You know, even though she's got the Spartan training, nothing should affect her. The human side of her is breaking through that rough mm-hmm. exterior, and she starts to have a panic attack. Mm-hmm. Yeah, isn't this where eventually she's kind of 
pulled away from this this kind of mission. Yeah. So as it gets reported back and BB, you know, is like monitoring all these levels, like, man, you have a crazy high heart rate and all this other stuff. And it gets back to Saren and she says, you know, let's let's bring Naomi back. Let's get just Maz and Val out there. Mm-hmm. And and they'll they'll kind of handle the rest of this monitoring mission. Because their their main reason for being there is that they figured out that the Pious Inquisitor, which was basically the flagship for Telcam that had gotten misappropriated in the last book, we'll say. Mm-hmm. Basically, he's like, uh, these Kigar, please go and take my ship there. And they go, mm-hmm. And they go the other way. <laughs> and they just run away with it. It's like asking a stranger, hey, can you park my car yeah. in, in a shady part of the city? And they're like, sure, gullible guy. And then they just run off with your car. Yeah. And this is where we, we realize that Staffan and Sav Fell, who was, I guess, the kind of top bird. <laughs> That's their derogatory term for the kid yard. They call them birds. Birds and chickens. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the, the top dog, top bird of this is Sav Fell. And Sev Fell is pretty well known here. He's got like an estate. You know, he's, he's pretty high up for a kig yard. He's like what a pirate wants to be. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I got this ship. Who wants it? And Staffan and his his son, which would be Naomi's stepbrother, figures out that, okay, they're on the market for it. You know, we need to watch them as malinvested. We need to watch them and kind of infiltrate. Yeah. And, and I love that they go into... Staffan eventually getting on the Pied Inquisitor, mm-hmm. and they kind of and they go through it. We we meet the uh, the Hergok on board. Uh, sometimes sinks, mm-hmm. and I, I love that eventually he's like negotiating with Savfell about it. And the, the kind of what seals the deal is that it has a glassing cannon on it. Yes, that was one of the major things, and. You know, Staffan is, you see, like, you see where Naomi gets her smarts. Mm-hmm. Staffan knows how to wheel and deal, and him and his son are, they're, like, telepathic. Like, they've done so many deals, they know if, like, a scratch of the nose means let's go, or if this means, mm-hmm. all right, let's push them more. And they realize, oh, this doesn't have missiles, this doesn't have this, this doesn't have this, but it does have that glassing cannon. So they, they talk him down, and they convince FL, said, okay. We want to see if it works. Mm-hmm. And this is where it gets interesting because then we start seeing this Hergok sometimes sinks is a lot different from other Hergok because he kind of goes to the beat of his own drummer. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he really kind of has his own agenda and it's not a bad one, but he notices that Sav Fell tests the glassing cannon on this area that has forerunner ru- ruins. And he's like, no, 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 no. Yeah, he was saying... Because they went to some abandoned planet, mm-hmm. basically that had been glassed elsewhere on the planet, and they're like, yeah, this is abandoned, no one will be here. But yeah, sometimes Sinks comes in, not even just moans around like, don't do that, he actually comes in and tries to physically stop it mm-hmm. from happening, and they're like, oh, it's just all rubble, you know, it doesn't matter, no one lives down there, and they glass it, and he actually like lets out a bellow, and is like mourning it almost. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting, he also calls humans the reclaimers which mm-hmm. i don't think we really see from Hergok, but i think eventually staffen wants to test it again once he gets a ship but he does tell sinks like he levels with him he's like I-, I won't do an area you don't want me to and we see that instantly sinks gravi- gravitates towards staffen mm-hmm. and he's like this is kind of like my dude like he understands what i want so and we see that relationship uh, explored a little bit more later down the line in the book. 
Yeah, it, it's really almost like getting like a shelter dog, mm-hmm. you know, that might have been abused before, but finds like this total commonality and finds this pack that it is like stone cold, ready to be with and mm-hmm. stays with. Ride or die mm-hmm. through and through. Yeah, and, and one of the major points, and the reason we're really going to see him going after this was he says, you know, Pious Inquisitor, you know, that's that's for the four jaws. You know, that's their weird religious stuff. Let's give it a proper name. Let's name it Naomi. Yeah, he says you name a ship after someone you, you care about or mm-hmm. want to remember. And that's just, in that moment in the book, kind of was like chilling to me. Because, yes. you know, at the time, he was, you know, had this monologue at the beginning of the book. But 40-something years later, we see that it's still in the back of his mind every day, every minute. So that's when you know, like, you start to see more motivation as to why he's doing what he's doing. Yeah, because originally the the Oni and the UNSC had his motivation as just, he's an insurrectionist, that's what they do. Not really realizing that he's harbored this feeling for them 30-odd, 40-odd years Mm -hmm. that's continued on. Now we jump back to Telcam from the first two books. And he's like, uh, my ship's gone. He goes to this kid yard, Chol Vaughn, and she's a, a ship mistress or up and coming one. Mm-hmm. And tasks her, says, you know, I need my ship back. I, I've heard about you before. Let's, you know, please get it back for me. And I do like her character because it, it goes into this whole uh, section where she picks since she's been around humans for so long. She picks up on things they do, mm-hmm. uh, like, and she applies them to raising her children. Which I love little details like that that are sprinkled into this book. That she's like making her her I think a son be patient for food. Yes. So because she writes this really well, he's he's like a typical bird where it's like nipping at her for food, and she mm-hmm. has to keep like swatting him away, and it's like no. The humans teach this to their kids, and their kids are successful. Mm-hmm. So I need to teach this to mine. Yeah, and we notice more and more she throughout the book she uses phrases that only humans use that even like some of the other Kigyar like confused when she uses them. Like mm-hmm. so, I, I want to say this is a Kigyar character that actually is really well written, and it, probably the first one we've encountered where you're like, I kind of care about this character. Uh, yeah, and one especially in the Kigyar world because we've had plenty of Ungoy that we've loved. Plenty of Sangheili, mm-hmm. Brutes, eh. but everyone else. <laughs> but the Kigyar for me have always just been kind of a bullet sponge for all these books. Yeah. And this is the first time we're really getting one. And like you said, she's picked up on all these human traits, and that's really what drives her to do this deal. Because originally, Telkian basically just like threw flyers, and he's like, ah, whoever wants this, <laughs> just come and get this job. It's a great job. And they go up, and he's like, I can't pay you much or really anything, but mm-hmm. if you get it, I might pay you. Yeah. And, and so. She kind of, this is where she goes in like more of a monologue about the humans that, you know, we're, we think of ourselves as these great pirates and of deception, but every regular human has more deception in everyday stories than we ever do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like they're, they're actually good at lying and being not good people. Yeah. And so she, she takes it upon herself. She goes, okay, we're going to go get that. But I've always wanted to have a kid, your fleet of my own. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to double cross him. And actually take the ship for myself so that the Kig Yar can once again be this amazing pirate race that can just, that is feared planet to planet. And we can, we can actually defend ourselves and grow. Poor Telcam is just like, I want my ship. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't want to really do anything with it. I just want it. And every time he's like, can you do something with my ship? It just gets stolen from him. Guys, I just want to start this religion. 
and just like hang out, <laughs> but you stole my stuff. This is my party ship. <laughs> this is yeah. This is all I want. And yeah, he's just getting kind of kind of like screwed over left and right. <laughs> but yes, yeah, so so he's tasked. He says, "All right, you know, Sav fell. You need to go track him down and find him." And then we go on this little side journey where she figures out Sav's cousin or nephew uh, works on this refining refinery planet. Mm-hmm. Tracks him down. It's like, where is he? You worked on his ship. What happened? And he's like, okay, well, he's went over to this planet. And they fig- yeah. they figure out that they're going over to basically where Stefan and everyone else mm-hmm. is on Venezia. Yeah, and this is where, it, you know, throughout the book, she kind of shows that she's a very brutal leader almost. She, mm-hmm. you know, just cuts straight to the chase. And at one point, she, she pays all her men in full. Uh, yes. Straight up says, you know, they're kind of like iffy to do this mission. And she's like, no, half now, half later thing. Here's all your money up front. Let's go. Mm-hmm. So from the moment we meet her, she's, she gets down to business. Yeah. And so this is then where we cut back. So so she now is plotting the course to Venezia. Mm-hmm. We cut back to uh, Mal and Vaz, who throughout this whole time have been slowly but surely inserting themselves into whatever you want to call this insurrectionist group that's there, that Stefan leads. Like, mm-hmm. they've been going to the bars and, you know, dropping hints and like, oh, who's that guy? Oh, hey, how's it going? You know, we're ex, you know, UNSC, uh, down with the government. Yay. <laughs> you know, a little bit yeah. better than that. but Yeah, and they, they do go under a lot of questioning. Like, at one point, they're like, why did you desert after the war? Where mm-hmm. did you get all these scars? You know, they're saying, like, got this for scars from an elite i'm not going to desert during a war because i'm not going to leave my friends behind like yeah. so they had the right answer for everything to kind of start winning some people over and give off the impression like they really are deserters just on the run yeah cuz vaz brings it up pretty good he's like mal's always told me if you're going to you know lie about your cover story it needs to be a truth lie Mm-hmm. So it's all stuff that kind of has happened to him, mm-hmm. but it's tweaked to kind of fit this story. Well, they're even using their real names. Yeah, like... they have they have different last names, but they're using their real names. Same with Naomi; she used her real name, mm-hmm. and they they end up getting like fake passports, these fake chip cards. So this is on this planet; they still use a physical currency. It's kind of this plastic chip that you break off a mm-hmm. card and pay stuff with. One, it's untraceable, and that's a huge thing that they're about, and. So they work with Spencer. And Spencer, if you remember from the previous two, he was a, an UNSC or ONI agent that has been implanted in this this area forever, basically. Yeah. But it, it was even before the Human Covenant War, he was there. Mm-hmm, yeah, it's basically just been his job for the past 20, 30 years or something mm-hmm. like that. So, he's, so he knows how to get a lot of these supplies, get them legit, and... Puts in a good word because he's he's been known around there for a while. He's he's mm-hmm. you know a master electrician helps around the place. So he, so he says, I kind of know these guys. I've talked to them a little bit. They're good. Like let's let them in. And yeah, so that's when we go over to kind of staff in, give a little bit more of that grill job about who they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they eventually do. You know, they meet up with him, and he tells them like tells them about uh, well the ship now Naomi, mm-hmm. uh, the Pied Inquisitor, and and basically says you know I have this ship. I have this mission that I I want to do. I don't know. I, I can't remember off the top of my head. Does he want to glass Earth or threaten to glass Earth? So he wants it to have the re- a reason to do it. Mm-hmm. So he's okay. been, he is. I don't think he really totally tells them. He hints at it because he says this is for the defense of Venencia. He's mm-hmm. like, if we get attacked, you know, he's like Earth. Earth didn't forget about us. Earth was momentarily preoccupied for a couple years with the human covenant war 
But now that they're bored and like they are the rulers, they're going to come for us. And he even insights, he, he talks about it. He's like, humans are awful. You know, we're the ones starting this rebellion over, over at like the St. Healy. How do you think these things happened? You know, this was all us mm-hmm. and, you know, they need to be held accountable because his true plan was to head to Australia to Highcom's, you know, area, which is basically like the, the main base on Earth mm-hmm. and to glass it. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it all of a sudden we see. It, his his motivations are out there in the open, and mm-hmm. he he blames Oni for a lot of things. Oni UNSC for a lot of things, and he's going to eventually lead a, an attack on them. Yes, and he's kind of like it's hell or high water. I either make it out or I don't. But this is kind of my last stand. And to know that you know Earth isn't the only place humans are, and it's not the only place it should be. And he, and he does go in into a lot of detail, and I really respect this writing in it too because it talks about how yes earth is mother earth it's it's our first planet it's where we came from but then there are the colonies and we expanded out and we started these beautiful worlds well earth now comes like a mafioso to get their money mm-hmm. and to get their security money and all these other things and to kind of take advantage of these resources so that's really where we see this turmoil and it works with modern day too of this place comes in, invades, says, you're terrorists, attacks them. And then when they go in defensive, they then spin it again, like terrorists are attacking us. Mm-hmm. So he really goes into detail about that, saying, you know, if if not now, when? When are they going to mm-hmm. come back for us? Well, Travis does a great job about making you question whether or not you want to dislike the bad guy or not Mm -hmm. and you the best in my opinion the best villains are the ones with motivations that you could understand Mm -hmm. through and through and that's what we're getting with uh staff in here well and and to do the telling of there's there's no good and bad Mm -hmm. there there's opportunity and that's really what it is it's gray everything is always gray depending on what your standpoint is yeah, with this and their uh, Mal and Vaz are kind of part of the, the quote unquote crew now. This ragtag crew, mm-hmm. they they do have a plan that they want to get BB on board this ship. Yes, because because their I think their end goal is we'll implant BB, we'll get Staffin away. BB can then transport the ship out of here, so it's it's no longer a threat. And at this time too, Vaz is really at this point taking a liking to Staffin. Yes. He's seeing him for the father and the man that he is and not the insurrectionist. Mm-hmm. Well, he, and they even, I think, Staffan does bring up eventually Naomi as yes. well. Because they talk about why did you name... Because I think Vaz really starts poking the bear when they first meet on that ship. And he goes, why did you name it Naomi? Well, yeah, because he says, oh, the ship's named Naomi. And they're both just like, oh, crap. It is. And that's, that's when they get confirmed. This is for his daughter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so unfortunately, the, their their first roadblock really is that uh, sometimes sinks. They're like, we don't know if we can get BB past this guy. He's a really on it hurricane. Like this is going to be risky to even try. Yeah, because one of the things that Stefan even tells them is like, oh yeah, this is sometimes sinks. We've basically made up our own codes and changed everything about this ship and. I'm the only one he will ever talk to about anything on this ship. Well, I love is, and you want to talk about the relationship between the two, because at one point, Vaz and Mal tell them, like, 
he doesn't know anything about Hurgok. Mm-hmm. And and he goes, do these guys eat? And they're like, yeah, they eat this this kind of jelly with like sugars and fats. And Staffan like freaks out. He's like, oh my god. He's like, he must be so hungry and like runs and gets some food. And it's making them harder to dislike this guy. And I love it too because Cameron describes it like a grandpa moment mm-hmm. where like he pulls out basically some Buttersworth like <laughs> little sweets mm-hmm. and like unwraps and is like, oh, I'm so sorry. And then you can see that the Hurgok goes from like moody teenager to kind of like, oh, okay, what do you want me to do? Like, I'll help her on the ship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, as I said, they're just like, why does this guy care about this thing? Why is this guy being this way? It's kind of making the mission not as easy. Yeah. So, you know, as they're going down, they, you know, they kind of had this inner monologue about what, what do we do? Like, do we do we deal with things? And at the time, Mal was saying, if, if this would have been 10 times easier if I had BB on a chip. But mm-hmm. we didn't want to do that, you know, after BB's last escapade in the last book, where he went with Phillips down to St. Helios. And, the, the, you know, the chip got broken and BB went uh, rampant in that small section. So they didn't mm-hmm. want to risk that again. But they need something to access it. But they do decide to rip off the Band-Aid and BB gets transferred into into one of their, like, radios. The personal comm, yeah. And, and they decide to just, just plug him in the system. Well, yeah, they... they they basically go towards Staffan's place and they find, I guess what can be described as like a big transformer. Mm-hmm. Not not the not the robot in disguise, but like where, where your electric is. This would make this book cooler than it already <laughs> is. Yeah, so, th- so they have Jazz and uh, Bumblebee there <laughs> hanging out. Now, so, so he plugs it in and the idea is for BB to use that signal to kind of bounce into the ship because they, mm-hmm. they figured out the relay f- formula for it. Yeah. And they're like, all right, BB's got to go in Drop a little BB specs in there so it can kind of grow to be a BB tree in the ship <laughs> and take it over. But when this is happening, you know, BB's going through. And BB even said, you know, the one the one difference between me and a Hurragok is a Hurragok can change up hardware. Yeah. You know, he's saying we're, we're pretty much the same because we can do and kind of figure out anything, but I can't manipulate hardware. And that's what happens is the Hurragok uh, sometimes sinks, does it. And, and and basically changes it, locks BB out, and BB's like, "Oh, gotta get back!" and jumps back into the radio. Mm-hmm. And Mal's like, "What? What went on?" He's like, "Dude, uh, that Hurricock locked me out. We gotta go." Yeah, and and this is where tensions start to rise because then Staffan learns that, "Hey, just so you know, someone just tried to break into your ship." And I think he's with his son as well and some of his crew. Mm-hmm. And so he sits there for a while. And on and surprisingly, Val and Maz are last on his list of suspects. He starts listing off: Did the UNSC find out about this? Did did are the Kig Yard trying to get to me? And then finally, he kind of figures out: Like, I think it's those two new guys we just brought in. Well, yeah, because originally the, he's like, you know what? I need to go see my supplier. Mm-hmm. I need to see what went on. However, we learn that Chal has actually made it down and made it over to Sav Fell's place. And that's where when she learns it's like this grotesque mansion with these fountains and all this other stuff. And he happens to be going outside to his his warthog, because that's the coolest truck in the world, obviously, <laughs> to load some stuff in. And they take him captive and start to, I don't know, really torture him. Because she even talks about, you know, torture doesn't give you what you, torture gives you what you want, but not if they don't know it. Yeah, well, the, you know, in real life, if you're tortured enough, you'll admit to anything. Yeah. So she she says, you know, it needs to be a win-win situation. Mm-hmm. And she says, okay, here's the thing. 
give us the location of the ship, you know, give us this stuff, we'll pay you. Like, and we'll make sure that Telcam doesn't know about this, doesn't know about anything that's going on. And, you know, we'll we'll leave you alone and we'll supply you with these things. It basically does a trade. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because he's like, what about the humans? Like, don't worry. Like, we can take care of them. All we need is a ship, you know. Uh, you'll be on my speed dial. If, if, if you need anything, I'll be here. But we need to get on that ship. And so he agrees to our right, location. Here is the code to get in the door. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so then we, we move back to Mal and Vaz and we see that Staffin and the rest of kind of his crew come in because they're just at a bar hanging out and and they, yeah they think they start to walk home at that point mm-hmm. and, and they start to they meet up with them and they start kind of questioning them but but inadvertently they're kind of saying hey just so you guys know someone just tried to break into the ship uh and so there it's there's this weird tension and finally mal and vaz do get tased and thrown in the back of a, a warhog yeah or is it, I think it's delivery truck because yeah, yeah i think yeah. It's, they were walking back to you know, whatever their little home spot was. Mm-hmm. Like, this truck's been tailing us for a little bit, like kind of going slow speeds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then they get into some hand-to-hand, get tased, and like that ends their story for, for the moment. Mm-hmm. We jump back to Tartcart for a little bit, which is our little baby flagship for Kilo. Mm-hmm. And we have uh, Saren Osman talking with BB because they noticed that Malinvez is kind of blips didn't go away, but they kind of went for a little bit. So mm-hmm. like, uh, what's our boys doing down there? Like, why? I kind of lost signal with all their vitals. What mm-hmm. happened? And they're starting to think like, were they compromised? Because Oh, sorry. And at this point, when they were thinking, they didn't have BB yet, but they were kind of tracking it. BB came up because the, the one thing that Mal and Vaz had agreed on is, BB, you can stay on our radio, but if we get captured or if we think that things are going downhill, go back to the ship. Like, mm-hmm. like, get out of here. We can't have you fall into enemy hands. And if they search us, it'll just be a regular comms radio. It won't have, you know, an AI in it. And that's when BB says, listen, they're captured. We got to go. This is where we start to realize, Saren's like, um, so about like the rescue force and everybody else, I kind of sent Naomi and Dev, who's our pilot, to go get some upgraded pelicans that have cloaking devices and these slip drives. So... They'll be there eventually. They're kind of on their own now. Mm-hmm. But we go to Mal and Vaz, and they're now uh, captured by Staffin, his son, and the rest of their their crew. Mm-hmm. And and originally we just get uh, Vaz's point of view. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and we see that there is uh, Staffin comes in and starts questioning him, and and you know, like, listen, I don't BS me. Like I'm smarter than that. Tell me who you are what you're doing here, what you want. And so, again, it's kind of those half-truths that that Vaz is saying, like, I'm UNSC, like, this is my name, like, I'm a deserter, I'm just trying to find my way, I don't, you know, I didn't want to be a part of the army anymore. Mm-hmm. Well, well, eventually, Staffan finishes this line of questioning, and he goes, didn't they teach you to just not say anything during an interrogation? Mm-hmm. He goes, obviously, you're not a deserter, you're, you're, who else is with you? You've obviously been planted here. Who else knows you're here? Because he's basically, mm-hmm. he's basically, you're, you're answering my questions too well. You already had the answers for these. Yeah, like, like you, you prepared to be interrogated. Yeah, so so you already knew what to say to get on my side. And Vasic, listen, dude, I'm, I'm here for you guys. Like, yes, this stuff is going on, but you know we need to figure this out. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, this is where Stefan says, "Listen, nothing I can do." And 
his captor basically just starts beating the hell out of him. Well, I love as he says it's nothing personal because mm-hmm. you saw that they were kind of all starting to get along, and and Vaz even says, luckily. He's not using weapons. He's not using any of that. He's using his his feet and his fists to just yes. beat the tar out of me. And he even talks about it. he he had so much beer at the bar that they were at previously that he ended up just peeing his pants because yeah, he couldn't he, hold it. He was trying to say, I don't want to do it out of fear. He's like, I don't want to think I'm like scared. Yeah. But, but I literally, it hurts so much that well, I have to go. The rest of his body is tensing up in every time. And mm-hmm. he's even talking about, he's like, it's like, I really hope that this floor is level and that I'm not like on, on a, a downward slope, yeah. angle. Yeah. So, and he even like describes, it's just funny because eventually when he pees, he talks like, okay, as he's getting the crap beat out of him, he's like, all right, pee's going the other way. I'm good to go. And, and he's just, you know, it dives into uh, it, it, the, kind of the, the psychology of getting beat and tortured and what to focus on, what not to focus on, where to keep your head. It's really interesting. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, you and I talked about this before. This scene is like one of those you you can't stop. You can't stop reading or listening or however. No, we got to keep uh, – I just had to keep going. I mean, because mm-hmm. there times I'm like, oh, like I'm, I listen to my car a lot, so I'm like, I got to get in the store. But I was like, I'll get in the store in like five minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because this, this scene is just – really good and it's it kind of edgy your seat and, and yeah because we jump over to mal and mal's in a different room mm. because they basically said vaz like hey mal might be here he might not who knows yeah and in mal's room very similar story but a little different so this guy's a little bit more of a torturer he's got kind of like drills and other stuff out because what they're thinking of doing is taking out his chip so every odst has has what Spartans have the deluxe line mm-hmm. of chip. ODSTs have the jalopy line and the <laughs> junkyard chip, which is basically just and, it, and it's kind of lore related because it's, it's your it's your ID, so it'll tell you mm-hmm. if your friend or foe. It'll tell your name if you need to be recovered or anything. So things like yeah. that. If they need to find a dead body, so the thing we'll take it out, we'll, we'll crush it. They can't find them, you know. But in reality, we kind of learn a little bit more. The lore is they're indestructible. Like, yeah. they're made to be that way, so if an ex- explosion happens, there's nothing left, you can still ID the chip yeah, and all that stuff. So, uh, the guy's kind of gearing up with it, and he's been... Smash his head into the, the table. That was one of the big things, is he just kept smashing his head into the table. He's like, man, I really hope I haven't broken... And then he kept checking his teeth. Mm-hmm. He's like, put his tongue around, he's like, man, I hope I don't break in my teeth or swallow them, or... He's like, no, he's just taking it easy. Yeah, and again, this is one of those really intense torture scenes and finally, the guy does grab a drill because he's like, all right, we're taking that chip out. And this is where Mal basically says, this is the only time I'm going to be able to do anything. He mm-hmm. says, I'm probably not going to live. He says, but I'm, I'm going to go down fighting. So when the guy gets up close behind him, he headbutts him and, and breaks the guy's nose. Mm-hmm. And before the guy can do anything else, Vaz gets up and just digs into his arm. And yeah, he takes a big old chompy bite. Yeah, and he even describes when his teeth are sunk in that he, he says it doesn't take long for your jaw to get very tired and sore mm-hmm. from biting into someone's arm. And it goes through. Karen Travis did such a great job at kind of describing of like the viscera of I can feel my teeth going through skin and into muscle. Like I can mm-hmm. tell the difference in texture. And he's like, it tastes terrible. But, you know, when else in my life am I going to be able to do this? She's, and- she's suspiciously describes all this <laughs> stuff very well it just goes into it yeah like we said about they describe like you never know your your jaw could ever get tired from this and because and, the more you grip obviously the more your jaw muscles are pulling and, and mm-hmm. there's so much tension it's like 
I'm, you know, it's either me or him and I'm not letting go. Yeah, and eventually some men make their way in and just keep hitting him until he, he has to let go because he mm-hmm. has no strength. And he, the guy is now terrified of him. Oh, the, yeah. The guy is like, oh, my, like, now I think everyone there at that facility is kind of like, oh, crap, these guys aren't messing around. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, I believe, when Stefan comes in there and is like, listen, go take care of his arm, get him out of here. And says, listen, we're not, I thought we were on the same side with this. Like, we weren't going to do anything. He's like, I'm trying to try to drill me. And he's like, well, that wasn't our plan. You know, that guy kind of went rogue. Mm-hmm. You kind of deserve that. But, you know, let's let's talk here and let's, mm-hmm. let's keep this going. And, yeah, so this is where Stefan says, all right, you know what? Uh, we're all, you know, we're all kind of tense here. Let's get the both of you in the same room. Let's, you, you can see that both of you are alive. Because that was one of the first questions on both sides was, is he still alive? Mm-hmm. You know, he's, yeah. he's he's my friend. He's he's my comrade. Yeah. And he said, let's get him in the same room. Let's put him together. And, you know, so they, they bring him together. And he had this pretty, like, and, and you could tell these guys have known each other for a while. Because I think in the book they describe, I think it's six or seven years they've served together. Mm-hmm. Um, which in that term is an eternity. Yeah, because they shouldn't, they shouldn't be in active service that long. They're ODST. Mm-hmm. You know, they, I love this because going back to that point... They talk about all these inside jokes and making fun of each other. Like, oh, you didn't take it so well, did you? And, mm-hmm. But going on and talking about like things that they've learned or, or, or little tidbits that's come about with it. And this is when Stefan comes back in, says, listen, boys, like, unless you got anything else to tell me, I think kind of our work here is done. Mm-hmm. And, and, and this is where this is one of those parts in the book where you can't put it down because... Vaz eventually starts bringing up Naomi. Because mm-hmm. I believe it had started originally with a passing comment to his captor, with Vaz's mm-hmm. captor, saying, I, I know that, trying to turn him, I guess, because saying, so what do you think about, um, you know, him losing his daughter and thinking that, you know, she was cloned? And he goes, what do you mean he thought she was cloned? Because he had never brought up the cloning aspect, or, to or that there was any of a second, a second child, mm-hmm. or a second cl- like a replacement. Mm-hmm. Only brought up that she was missing. So, like, what do you mean by that? He's, you know, it's what you think. Because it's just I watched I watched Star Wars Episode Two, and it had clones in the title. So <laughs> I was just thinking of that. I don't know. I don't know. Listen, I don't know. So that's what kind of brings Stefan in and says. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's talk. And mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and he starts to give these such subtle hints and starts slowly kind of revealing mm-hmm. that he may know a thing or two. And even at one point, uh, Staffan's son comes in and says, you know, stop. Like, I know what you're doing. You just have read some files about Staffan and his daughter. You just, you're, you're, you're messing with him. Mm-hmm. But this is where Staffan's like, no. Like, you got to think for like what 40, 40 something odd years, mm-hmm. he's had no answers. So he's getting something right now. So it doesn't matter what's going on. So, you know, he's kicking his son out of the room. He's, he's just trying to get anything he can about it because I know even Mal was kind of, you know, worried. Like, I don't know if you should be doing this. Like, yeah, because they, they both kind of knew he's revealing not top secret stuff, but. <laughs> pretty high up there that's high treason yeah like literally treason like he's saying this he's like i have no other options i'm gonna die or i'm gonna be in prison for the rest of my life at this point mm-hmm. what do i have to lose and, and and to go back to to our point with 
Stefan the man and the father, not Stefan the insurrectionist, Vaz has fully been seen it the whole time. Like he sees so mm-hmm. much of himself in in him as well, and like his family, and and basically brings up, I know she's alive, mm-hmm. and she's saved my ass more than once. Yes, and that's where really it's just kind of this not breaking point, but really like a shift in the mood of what's going on. Because then that Stefan's like, all right, Vaz, you're with me. Like mm-hmm. let's go. We're gonna talk about this further. And once again, Mal and Vaz are separated. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then I eventually, what uh, one of the insurrectionists come in to help Mal because he's like, you know, you get a bathroom break. But it even goes into detail about how like he's obviously terrified. He has a gun on the back of his head the whole time. Mm-hmm. He's he's got his shirt on his collar. And he goes, you know, takes him to the bathroom, and he's noticing that Mal just kind of keeps looking around. And and he's he's the insurrection is kind of getting annoyed. Like, why are you looking around? He's like, just passing the time, just playing a little eye spy, like just looking around. All of a sudden, Naomi comes in and takes the guy out because Vaz could hear Naomi kind of like trounced around the roof. Mm-hmm, yeah. So it, the, and he barely picked it up, but like his training, he should be able to spot that. Uh, when an insurrectionist couldn't. So kind of like laughed about it as well. But also, let's go back in memoriam for this insurrectionist guy because he was adorable and it sucked that he died because he was one of the ones who never had any of the violent aspects of this. Like he didn't have Mm -hmm. any part of the tasing, none of those parts, and was just like an old machine shop guy. Yeah. And like knew his, didn't really know his way around the gun, but knew his way around a little bit of combat to like hold the position. It was like, yeah, I'll get you some water. Like, I mean, whatever you want. He's like, this kind of sucks, but, you know, it's kind of what we have to do here. And he's like, I don't like this any more than you do. He's like, this is just my shift for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and then Naomi <laughs> crushes him. Well, it's it, that's always the thing. It's always the guy that's like, I retire in two weeks. Mm-hmm. And then he gets shot in the head by a Spartan. But then it, it, then now it leads to, you know, she, she uh, grabs Mal and she has a jetpack, take, takes him out somewhere. And I love that he even describes like, I can come into atmosphere just fine. He's like, but going up in the air is something I'm not used to He's whatsoever. Like, I, I hate it so much. He's like, <laughs> I'm going to pass out. But but she drops him off, and now it's kind of like, well, now we need to get Vaz. Mm-hmm. And and this this relationship we see between Vaz and Staffan really comes out here in this next scene because, you know, now we know, okay, someone someone just broke out Mal, and Vaz knows it's like, okay, it's Naomi. And so... At- and, and before you continue, I'm breaking this because we jump back to Naomi the ship. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we now have, back to our little Kigyar party time, they have made their way to the ship. Mm-hmm. And they know the Huragak's on board. They're like, bonus, you know, because that's when... Um, Sev Fell was saying, listen, it's not a regular Uragok. It's it's like a weird one that kind of does what it wants. Yeah. Um, so just be wary of that. They're like, whatever, we'll just shoot the gas bag if, if need be. It's clueless idiots. Mm-hmm. So they decide, okay. Because originally they, they tried to open the door with the code. And they're like, Sev Fell, you're a liar. He goes, no, 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 that is the code. The Huragok probably changed it. Like, it's a weird Huragok. You know, the humans probably changed something. So they said, okay, we'll drill through the side and have one of those little, you know, little connector tubes that you see in all mm-hmm. the Halo games. Pretty much wanted to. Um, <laughs> but we're going to use that to get inside that we can create, you know, some oxygen barrier that we can breathe. We'll get in there. We'll take down the Huragak if we have to. We'll seize control of the ship, and then you're free to go. Mm-hmm. So so they, they start the drilling, and they're like, cool, made their way on. But as they're making their way on, 
the doors start to close in certain areas and power starts to go out in certain areas and they go, okay, we need to rewire the panels to change this. And they realize in the panels, it's just completely smooth. <laughs> and then, like, there's no knobs, there's no switches, like, there's just nothing. And the thing, like, the Hurgak had been taking this entire time because they assumed he was just bored. Like, he's probably floating around doing nothing because he has no commands. Yeah. But he's literally been, like, outfitting this ship to be only Hurgak usable. And so they start to freak out about it. It's like, okay, well, we got so much oxygen left. We got to make it out there. Yeah. And <laughs> unfortunately, this is where, uh, I mean, we're already seeing that sometimes Sinks is kind of turning into Jigsaw from mm-hmm. Saw and and just basically tells him, you're not going anywhere. You're not getting any farther. And then I – and this is a, a scene I imagine in my head is that the ship is floating in space and then just – yeah. and it's gone because all of a sudden it just jumps into slip space mm-hmm. and it's gone. Yeah, because Staffan had one thing. He said, if, if I don't make my radio calls or if anything goes wrong – Slip to these coordinates. It's like every eight hours or so, right? Like mm-hmm. I check in every eight hours. If not, go. Mm-hmm. And that's I again. I just mentioned, yep. and it is gone. And there and now all those kids are along for the ride. Mm-hmm. And so, so that's kind of where we're set up in the ship. Um, we don't know what location we're in. It, it 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 warped away. We'll hopefully we'll figure it out. But then we jump back over to our little prison break. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and uh, this is where. Vaz realizes, like, okay, Naomi's here. Like, she's coming. We don't really know where she's at, whether or not she's willing to, like, kill her father or not. And so at one point, Vaz tells him, when I say so, duck. And the guy's like, what? And then he just grabs him and throws him to the ground. Mm. Dev puts blast charges on the door, and it goes off. Yeah, basically, basically just a breach. Because that's, that's when... Because he was hearing, like, I think, the thuds of, like the blast charge is going in the door and he's like, I know that sound. He's like, mm-hmm. when I say so, get down. So so he gets down and then Dev comes in and Dev, of course, has her witty remarks to say. Mm-hmm. And basically like, oh man, I, I wish you were out there to like see my blast charges I did. Wasn't that an amazing job I just did? Hey guys. Anyway, so like, we should get out of here. And so, yeah, so Dev ends up, unfortunately, that's when Vaz says, listen, Steph, and I'm sorry, you know, I, I, I need to tell you more and we need to, Figure this out, but you've got to come with us. Mm-hmm. Like, so they end up going to one of those souped-up pelicans they had that actually has a cloaking shield. It's basically like Wonder Woman's jet. It's basically like the invisible jet they're flying on. I thought she had like a glass jet. I thought that was the logic behind that. It's invisible. It's the same thing. I can see glass. It's invisible. It's an invisible <laughs> jet. Anyway, they go on this invisible jet not made out of glass. <laughs> I could be wrong on that. By you the way. are totally wrong on that. And they go out and and they basically get Naomi on board, get everybody else, and they they make it off planet back to Tartcart. Transition. So now on Tartcart, obviously we have everyone back and little kind of joyous reunion, little not. But this is really this is really where this this really starts to tug at you. Mm-hmm. It's it's really tough to to kind of read or listen to this aspect because this is where. They make the decision, so we have Osman go in first. She's like, hey, how's it going? Like, you're on Let's Make a Deal. Pick one of the doors, obviously. You know, one, two, or three. (laughs) Here's the options I got for you. If you hand over the ship, we'll leave you alone. Like, like, you know, we'll, we'll figure this out. Because basically what happens is he realizes, who's you know, who's my daughter, who's this? And she goes, okay, here we go. Yeah, she... She tells him, says, you know, 
your daughter was kidnapped mm-hmm. and I was kidnapped too. Like I, me and your daughter went through the same thing. She made it out better than I did. And she's trying to really level with him mm-hmm. here and trying to say, listen, I was part of this too, but you know, Staffin's now learning his daughter is alive, but he still has so much rage because mm-hmm. he's like, I, I, you're all the same. Like even still mad at, at Saren. Um, yeah, because, because he's like, listen, I know you're all the same. Cause he goes, I know you're Oni. I know you're insignia. I know all these things. Mm-hmm. I know exactly who you are, you know, what you're doing and is just infuriated, but finally comes this agreement and says, you can have the ship. I'll leave you alone. We'll make sure this never happened. I just want to see my daughter mm-hmm. and I want her to stop being a soldier. Yeah, and, and and this is where it becomes the debate of, like, can she even stop? And and Saren's like, yeah, she whenever she wants. She mm-hmm. can put, she, she's been in the field long enough. She can go. Mm-hmm. Like, this, she's here because she wants to be. But she was honest, too. She said, listen, there's only been one Spartan ever to retire, mm-hmm. you know, that, that served combat. Like, you know, like me and the ones that were, were either disfigured or had, had issues, yeah, we were allowed to either retire or become pencil pushers. But as far as combat ready, they're an asset. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're the most important soldier asset we have. We just don't let them go. But she said, it it is possible. It's possible. It's something we can look into. But this is where eventually we do get that meeting mm-hmm. between Staffin and Naomi. And he's seeing her for the first time. And it's almost awkward in a way because he's starting to try to, like, figure out really, like, who she is. It, it is. It, it's, it's very much. And I don't have experience with this. I know you don't with it. But for those of you who've had it, it's. I can compare it to, you know, someone who's adopted seeking out their birth parents mm-hmm. and like having that first meeting mm-hmm. of like, yeah, I, I remember you as a kid. And like, yeah, I saw pictures of it, you know, and like those type of I- ideas with it. And it's just, it's such an awkward meeting because he wants, I think in his head, in both their heads, this went completely different and they don't really know what to say. And Stefan's still angry with it because I think he's still angered himself still. If he had just picked her up, she wouldn't be a Spartan. This would have never happened. Yeah. You know, because he even gets, like, he goes into full dad mode when she eventually, because this, this goes on for a while. This, of, yeah, this of, conversation. This conversation, they take a quick break, um, and they deal with, some, you know, they deal with just decompressing. You know, she has to go, because she's like, I have to go to the bathroom, and she eventually leaves. But during all this talk, you know, she says, I'll, if you want to know the nitty-gritty, like, I'll let you know. And she goes all about the augmentation process and training and, and all these other things. Mm-hmm. And there's two things that Staffan's really mad about. One is like the dad thing of talking about the sterilization. And mm-hmm. it's like, they took your life away. Like they took about having a family and kids, like they took that away. But most of all, he did the math in his head. And he said, you're telling me you're produced for the human covenant war. You weren't, taken until you know you were taken in this like 2517 you were taken you know x amount of years before the covenant the human covenant war mm-hmm. which i love in that scene is that even though all of this has happened he instantly goes well that's not right he goes i i i know now why you were taken and again this scene is just so heart racing because he's mm-hmm. even he's even talking about oh that that vaz guy is pretty fond of you and she's like it's not like that and he's like so what you're saying, you, you never want a family? You you never want to settle down? Mm-hmm. And she even talks about how she herself is not really upset about being kidnapped and being augmented because she talks about, you know, really it was 
It was just about seeing what we could do. Like yes. you, you're given this sense of purpose all of a sudden because you see this is when kind of the brainwashing comes into effect of them being told like, oh, like, nope, you're good. You don't have to worry about anything else. This is all for for the greater good of humanity and, mm-hmm. and your brethren, your Spartan brethren and sisters. And she even tells Staffin like, well, Halsey told all the kids that you guys knew. And he goes, hmm, who is that? And she's like, uh, oh, Dr. Hall? Halsey. And he's like, I'll remember that name. Because he literally says, if I ever see her, I will strangle her. And he and it goes into detail about literally, this isn't all, like this isn't like just some kind of thing I'm saying. I'm going to kill her if I ever see her. Mm-hmm. And and I will say, we, we've, we've kind of been neglecting BB throughout this. Mm, uh, yeah. Just yes. because he's not... He's not part of the story, but he is because Karen has written BB's character so much more into this book than the other ones. Mm-hmm. He, he was always an AI with his kind of witty, you know, kind of messed with them a little bit. Yeah. But in this, we really start to see a little bit more humanity coming from him. Yeah. Well, well, even something we we skipped is at the very beginning osman mm, is, yes. is being promoted to admiral she's mm-hmm. gonna be she's going to be it's official she's gonna be leader of oni and he even is like telling everyone he's super excited i think he's talking about baking her a cake and whatnot yeah he actually ends up getting the huragak to uh, make a cake yeah because i mean it's just one of those things he's he's excited about it he's like this is what it's been leading up to like congratulations like so he really is i've always liked him but this book made me just be like he is a great character written in as as just just so much more and 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 i think one of the more caring ai's like cortana in that way that actually cares mm-hmm. for the people that's with him and genuinely hates humans but has come fond of this pack of humans that he's dealt with this entire time now mm-hmm. and is even starting to have some human like qualities cuz there's times when they're talking about the infiltration plan and he starts to think of it in human ways, like counting eggs. And he's like, why would I ever think it like that? Mm-hmm. Like, that makes no sense to me as an AI to have a human phrase like that. Yeah. But bringing that to our, our, our central thing, as their talks continue, BB kind of plays counselor to everybody throughout this. Mm-hmm. Like, he talks with Vaz and Mal and is like, dude, you went through a lot. Like, me as an AI, I would do exactly what you did. He's like, I'm, I've, I've, and he, he this is, a, this is a, a motif that, BB kind of continues the rest of the story of like, I'm going to die soon. Yeah. You know, and I, I don't want to be a machine. Like I want to be someone. And coming with that is the knowing of right and wrong. And what happened to Staffan is wrong. Mm -hmm. And what we need to do is set it right. So he kind of plays counsel with everybody and kind of just taps into it. Well, yeah. Cause, cause then eventually, after the meeting with Naomi and her father, mm-hmm. Naomi starts talking to Bibi and is like, is there a way that y- you can help me access suppressed memories? Mm-hmm. And so he he does eventually, and, th- and this whole thing is super rough to, to read or listen to, he eventually helps her access the memories of when she was kidnapped by Oni. Yeah, and, and it's, it's, it's very much like a game replay where you're like mm-hmm. having like a commentary of this go through and like have some parts be replayed. Cause as it's going, you know, you'll have present day Naomi going through and be like, you know what? I kind of do 
remember that woman's voice that was in there. I remember like a woman picking me up with this and like, yeah. like remembering these facts as BB's pressing into it because I think really only Spartans can have this with that neural implant that's specifically for smart AIs mm-hmm. to kind of go through and access that. Yeah, and, and as she's remembering these these memories, she she remembers at one point she wakes up from from being sedated and, and fighting off these, mm-hmm. uh, these Oni people trying to kidnap her and it's just... This really dark thing that yeah. happened, describing a child who's scared and alone, and eventually finding herself in the Spartan Two program, mm-hmm. and and again, it was it was it's really hard to read or listen to because it's it's describing a child's anguish and fear, and and to show like how close she is to Staffen of even saying, if only I had not gotten off on the wrong bus stop because. Mm-hmm. She justifies it here, and we realize why. She got one stop off ahead because there was less streetlights around, and she wanted to see the stars. Mm-hmm. So she wanted to walk home looking at the stars, and it was only, I think, like a five-minute maybe extra walk, really. It wasn't much at all. But, yeah. But it would see that. She goes, if I didn't do that, I wouldn't have caused all this. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, she she eventually goes and meets back up with Staffin and kind of has, like, this goodbye. At, at first, what she's kind of saying is, mm-hmm. like, you know, I, I access these memories. I, I kind of know what ha- really happened now that day. I don't know if I'm ever going to see you again. So this is probably goodbye. Yeah, because when she first came back, he asked, are you ready to go? You know, thinking like, you went and saw the memory, how bad it was. Mm-hmm. You know, you loved our family. Let's leave. Because they said you could leave and, and we should leave. And she's like, I don't, I don't think I can do that. You know, I don't think I'm yeah. ready for it. Like, I need to serve my purpose. Because I think at this point, too, they'd already figured out the location of Naomi the ship or Pied Inquisitor and are starting to make their way there. So they're mm-hmm. kind of like, because Naomi, because they had said, we're going to breach it. Naomi, you and Mal, I think it was Mal with this one, are going to breach the hull and you're going to make your way through into you know the ship and get through and take mm. control of it. Yeah, well, BB even pops up and says, actually, this may not be goodbye and and that's when he says staffen we need you mm-hmm. you're the only person who can who this hergok will listen to you need to you need to come with us come on board we're all going to be friendly mm-hmm. we're going to get bb in the system and lock the hergok out yes and then we'll take control of it we'll vent out the kgr and then you know you can go your merry way we'll go our merry way mm-hmm. and staffen's like i don't believe any of that but i'm not leaving without my daughter basically yeah, or, you know i'm not gonna let her go in harm's way and not be a part of it mm-hmm. yeah even though it's like ironic like he's like 70 at this point yeah i think he's he's in like his early 70s and they even talk about he's not really like an intimidating guy like if you look at him at first it's only like when you start to talk to him and when he like starts to interrogate you that you know he's kind of like crazy and uh, psychotic well and you can tell like he means what he means like mm-hmm. that's the thing is like he has power behind his voice He's been searching for this, and this has been his drive. And now that like this is happening, like I'm not losing you a second time, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and it, it's just uh, incredible to see all this kind of come to fruition. Because then, so they make their way on to the the Naomi ship, and that's when uh, sometimes Sinks is kind of like, "Why are you with some people? Like, where you been? Like, he's kind of suspicious at first, mm-hmm. and he's still being cautious with Staffin because he can tell kind of something's up. He's like. We've been jumping around. We have some kid yarn here. Just make your way on board. And I think even at one point, BB like ships in. Yeah, and Vaz almost like Vaz is like responding to BB. And then even 
uh, the Hergok sometimes sings is like, who are you talking to? Like, so it's like this weird tension that's brewing. Because mm-hmm. uh, we're, we're having basically a two-prong attack because at this point we had them take that special pelican to the docking bay and, and sometimes sinks allowed them in. But on the front bulkhead, that's where we have Naomi and Mal cutting their way in, you know, basically through these debt charges and getting in and having, basically they're making their way door to door trying to make their way to the center mm-hmm. of the ship. Yeah, and along the way, they're starting to run into some kig yard. Mm-hmm. I, I love this this interaction that's going on with Chal and the rest of the uh, Kilo 5 is that they're 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 talking through the speakers because they even say that uh, the Hergok put, like, translation... Software into yeah, it. Yeah. yeah, and so it's almost like this toying going on because at this point, Chal is screwed. Like, yes. we kind of know this... And she's just kind of like saying, we have the ship. It's ours. Like, kind of almost trying to bluff, but they know it's BS. Yeah, because at this point, too, whenever they were making their way originally on, that's mm-hmm. when sometimes Sinks basically put four different groups of them in different areas. So I think mm-hmm. she has two with her, and there's potentially seven others, but now there's not. It's like it's like that episode of Yu-Gi-Oh! when they, they play the Labyrinth card, and all of a sudden all these walls come up. That's a whole other episode. <laughs> Yu-Gi-Oh! is the bane. If Dead Rising is the truth, Yu-Gi-Oh! is the bane of it. <laughs> but yeah, so so throughout this, they're kind of having these one-off conversations. I think even Mal is making jokes about uh, turning them into chicken nuggets and whatnot. Yes, and, and so she actually takes offense. That's a whole thing. She's like, nothing bothers me but chicken. Don't call me chicken. <laughs> and... And so, yeah, because so she's like, oh, we need to get out of here. And they, this weird kind of deal strikes up. Like, just let the chicken's out, basically. And she sees the Hurricane kind of peek out of a corner, peek back out and kind of open this door <laughs> and realize that sometimes Sinks opened every door to an escape pod for them. Mm-hmm. Just so, led them straight to yeah, it. To, yeah, because he says that's the easiest way out of here with the least amount of damage to the ship. So just get them out of here mm-hmm. and, and we can do it. Yeah. And but, but I think, see, this part kind of confused me in the book. I think before they started to leave, something happened with, like, the plasma torpedoes. They tri- Well, didn't they trigger something to kind of make this? They, they're, they're trying to destroy the ship. And I think they had activated the torpedoes in the ship. Mm-hmm. And there was, like, a reactor countdown of, like, 15 give or take minutes mm-hmm. before this reactor basically launched them all inside the ship. Yeah, but they make their way out, and then this is where Vaz eventually does slip BB into the system and locks out sometimes Sinks, and and, and Sinks is, is freaking out, like, you lied to me, how could you do this? And this is where even Staffan's trying to say, like, you know, we had to do this, like, we, we needed control of the ship. Because mm-hmm. they're, they're basically saying, listen, you can do most everything, but we need BB in here to stabilize some of this. Like, we, mm-hmm. we, we have to pull this, this data, we have to get this ship, but... Coincidentally, at the same time is when the torpedoes start to go, and like, oh, okay. So BB's like, listen, I can secure these systems as long as we can so that he doesn't jump the ship. Because that was the biggest thing. They didn't want sometimes sinks to jump again. They needed it. Yeah. But with BB in there, he's holding him back, and they're trying to figure out where are Naomi and Mal. Where, mm-hmm. You know, we need to get them here. But they realize that even though they have control of the doors now, a lot of them were just kind of sealed shut or broken. It's like every Halo game. <laughs> when you can't access any doors. And so they can't access any of that. So they're, they're thinking they have to go back to the bulkhead that they broke through. But sometimes Sinks has already fixed that bulkhead. 
somehow, magically. It's so like, okay, well, we need to get out of here. Like, they have to figure their way out. Maybe we can pick him up. And that's when, you know, Vaz and Stefan have this heart-to-heart, just kind of like the same talk. Like, we need to get out of here. He's like, I'm not leaving without her. Like, there's no, like, once again, there's no way I'm losing her. Mm-hmm. You need to go. But Vaz heads into the ship because he's thinking he can make his way through to kind of help them. But he's like, what if Stefan just leaves with the pelican and we're stuck? And so he like sprints back and like to his surprise, he's like, I don't, I don't see him anywhere. And so originally the, the Kigyar had brought two spirit drop ships on. Yeah. And so he lying said he had no idea how to operate alien tech is in the spirit and makes his way out. And he's like, I'm going to ram it. I'm going to do whatever to get Naomi out. Mm-hmm. And Vass is, can't stop you. And, and yeah, before they leave, uh, Vaz makes a promise to Stefan and says, I'll take care of your daughter. Yeah, because Stefan knows. He's like, I'm not spending the rest of my life in an Oni brig. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not doing this. I'm not doing that. I'm, I'm getting out of here. I'm, yeah, I'm getting out of here. I want to see my family because he started that second family. Yeah. Uh, uh, with, with, you know, having a stepbrother to Naomi, but having a son, a daughter, a granddaughter, and mm-hmm. all this while going way back to that beginning when he's making that dollhouse he's making the same type of dollhouse for his granddaughter so mm-hmm. it shows the love that he has for all these people and he basically says i'm not leaving without her and vaz finally says listen man we've got her like you know i'm going to take care of her we're going to get her out of here that's my promise to you i'll take care of her mm-hmm. she's fine with me and and so at this point vaz you know starts to get out because tart cart and dev is like dude we're gonna get out of here the ship's going to go. We got 15-ish minutes. And I think even Stefan says in the, kind of like an inner monologue later, it's like between 14 to 19, like give or take, depending on like what the reactor is in there. Mm-hmm. And so they make their way back. And, you know, as this is all going on, it kind of gets muddled in translation, I guess is the best way to say it. But Vass says, we got to go. So he leaves and Stefan says, I'm not leaving until Naomi's safe. Well, during all this, they basically are able to get a dropship in open the hull somehow and get Naomi and Mal out mm-hmm. with that. But in transition to that Pelican, Vaz tells BB, he's like, hey, man, I need you to do one thing for me. Whether Stefan lives or not, and, and I'm hopefully, you know, because he's not. He's in a, you know, a spirit. They don't have a slip drive. He's not going to get far enough away from this. I think, I think it was like a 10-mile detonation or something like that. Yeah. Like, there's no way he gets away from this. Please send him this file. So then he can send it to his family so that they know he's not crazy and that he didn't Naomi them basically. He didn't, he didn't like get taken or abandoned and they mm-hmm. don't know what happened. Well, it's going to get the whole family closure. Well, that was the whole thing was that his family kind of thought he was crazy mm-hmm. about it because he has this new family, but he always was bringing up Naomi. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this was to be like, hey, show him, show his, show his family that he was right after yeah. all these years. Uh, and that's when BB goes and visits him and, and, you know, talks like it's talking to the comms really quick. And he's like, why are you doing this? Like, why would you do this? And BB's like, I'm going to make myself forget I ever did this here in a minute. Which, which, if you read anything in this book, if you skip everything, this monologue by BB to Stefan is probably my favorite portion of the book. Because basically, so Stefan's in the spirit and a little like bloop, bloop, comes up. He's like, well, what is this? And he's like, oh, you're in everything, aren't you, you little robot? <laughs> and he's like, hey, you know, uh, Vaz wanted me to deliver this file. And Stefan's reading it and, and it's reading like super top secret, you know, all this stuff and he's like you know it's it's all about Naomi's process and the Spartan process and who Halsey is and like all these things 
And he's saying, why do you give it? Why are you doing this? You know, mm-hmm. this isn't it. And he goes, beautiful, beautiful. I'm going to butcher this monologue. So go read it. Go listen to it. But basically just, just summarizes it and says, listen, uh, just because I'm an AI, I'm basically not human, doesn't mean I can't have that same thought and know what right and wrong is and know what good and bad is. Yeah. And he says, I want you to take this. And I want you to handle this. And that's when he kind of notices, like, hmm, Hergok's been busy in here, hasn't he? And he's just like, because he's he was saying that at first, like, you're not going to make it out, do this. He's like, Hergok's mm-hmm. been busy, and he goes, so use that, you know, basically use that slip, but use that slip drive, use it, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and that's when, like you said, he goes, listen, I, I just want you to know these things that they do care for Naomi, like she's in great hands, and you'll know that basically this version of me that's here. I'm going to wipe it and wipe that I ever thought about seeing you or coming to this ship or mm-hmm. knowing about that slip space drive or knowing about the file. Yeah. So, so it, just know that it's, it's mum's the word essentially. Mm-hmm. And so the, you know, Kilo five makes her way out and then the ship explodes and, and it's kind of like everyone else just assumes like they're, you know, Stefan didn't make it. Yeah. Like, there's no Stephen, way, you know, it kind of moves on later and it, they're all back on the ship all starting to finally unwind a little bit because they've just been through three books of hell essentially nonstop. Yeah, and so this is where we kind of, you know, wrap that up. And this is kind of that kind of post-credit type deal where like, oh, like the big crescendo's done and now let's kind of mm-hmm. unwind the book. And so we're in Perengoski's office and she's debriefing uh, Osmond on all this and saying, listen, like, what happened? Because I, I love that Perengoski doesn't really care that he uh, Stefan knew about the program because he he's love or she's loving that Osman is is tiptoeing her way around but also being pretty brutally honest with it. She's like she's going to make a great admiral mm-hmm. and just just the way that she does it and she goes and she needs to figure out not her own morality but the, her own way of running this mm-hmm. and if that's doing trades or doing what you got to do you know. I know she's going to do well. And then she even has a little heart heart with BB talking about that. And is like, you know, you're Osmond's AI now. Like, you mm-hmm. need to take care of her and, and, and do everything for her and those people. And I, I love in that conversation, BB asks, like, the the brain that I was donated from, did, did you know that person? Mm-hmm. Were you friends? Mm-hmm. And Perengoski even says, yeah, we were friends. Do you want to know? He says, nah, doesn't really matter. Yeah, and I, I really like that. Because this whole book is really about finding yourself and understanding your past and who you mm-hmm. are. Because... You know, obviously we had that with Naomi kind of reading her file in the last book and kind of kind of losing it a little bit about it all. You know, again, that shell shock of it. Mm-hmm. And we're going to see that actually coming up with Osman herself. Yeah. She ends up almost nonchalantly being like, I'm going to read my file. Yeah, because throughout the first two books, it was, I have been able to read my file. I refuse to do it. I don't want to do it. What's What good is it? Mm-hmm. And then finally, she's just like, baby, let's do it. And so this is where she finds out it's BB reading it to her. Yes. And he's he's watching how she reacts to it the whole time. He'll stop and watch. But basically we we find out that Osmond didn't have a good uprising whatsoever. Her 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 mother was a, a prostitute who neglected her and multiple times neighbors would see her eating trash just mm-hmm. so she could eat something. Yeah. Her teacher at school kept calling, you know, the, the DCFS of the that child t- protective services yeah, of that time, but really nothing kept happening. Yeah. It was, she even said, cause BB even brings it up. It's the cycle. 
you go away for a little bit. They, they don't prove anything. You'll go back to mom. And it's mm-hmm. and it was like a cycle of like three or four times it happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they didn't even said, dad, don't, don't know who dad is. But the, and the, the craziest part is that they then said, or BB tells her that they didn't even clone you. Yeah. They, they just assume that you, you starved and died somewhere. They, they, cause he says it would have been harder to prove that you left and came back fine than if you just left and were either killed or something happened to mm-hmm. you. Yeah, and this is where then Osmond kind of takes it all in. So what she does is she goes to her home planet. Of uh, Cascade. Of Cascade. And she visits that teacher. Mm-hmm. And, that, and it's just like, it, it's crazy because the teacher just starts breaking down in tears and is like, I knew something would would happen with you where you 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 would make a name for yourself and and eventually the teacher so good and and we talked about this even before we started recording Mm because it's a great book is that the teacher makes her baklava and she she's like i guess i ate this when i was a kid but then she eats it and she's and it's just like she's taken back Mm -hmm. instantly i mean i mean i'm assuming some of you've had this whether it's a smell a taste or something like that that Mm -hmm. brings you back to that memory like it it's instantaneous Mm -hmm. I, i think it's it is a oddly very undescribable feeling. You, yes. It's an out-of-body experience. It, where, it really is. And, and so this is what happens. And we kind of do get this this closure in a way because mm-hmm. Saren knows, you know, kind of like, wow, like the Spartan Project really did do something for me. But before she even met with her teacher, uh, Bibi says, you know, it, it appears that in a way Halsey saved your life, but don't. Stop being mad at her. Don't stop hating her. Don't mm-hmm. like she's still pure evil. Don't don't let don't let that you know paint a brighter picture of her. Mm-hmm. And then on the same planet, because basically she's saying we got two weeks off. We're going to Cascade. Like we're mm-hmm. gonna hang out. It's a pretty cool planet. So Maz and Val uh, go planet side, and they do. I think I love that they talk about this. They basically try and do whatever ODST tries to do when they have leave is just get way too drunk, eat way too much food, and wake up next to someone who you don't even remember talking mm-hmm. to. Yeah. And so they they go out, and I think Mal's ordering them, like, fancy drinks. Like, they're like, mm-hmm. cocktails. And Vaz is like, when have you ever had a cocktail? He's like, listen, man, this is fancy. We got to do as fancies do here. Mm-hmm. And he's basically saying, like, by the time you've had three beers and you're under the table already, I'm sipping on my fifth one of these. And, like, they're poking fun <laughs> at each other. But Vaz, you can tell... Still is harboring something. And and they have this heart to heart where Vaz is like, Listen, did I did I do right? Mm-hmm. You know, did is what I did right? Like, should I have told him? You know, and he goes, I don't care about the court martial or, you know, anything that might happen because of this. He's like, But as a as a as a human to another human, did I do right? And I think Mal Mal basically surmises it up and says, Man, I don't think I could ever do what you did, but you you did what we all should have done. Yeah. You know, and, and, and basically brought that up and, you know, they have this heart to heart and that's when Vass says, all right, you know, if, if I was, if I was any drunker, I would be crying right now. Mm-hmm. And Mal yeah. says, well, then you haven't been drinking enough. Exactly. And, and, and I love it too. Cause then they have this little like laugh and they, they go to like another like bar and restaurant. Mm-hmm. And it's noon, by the way, I want to point that out. I remember the time signature in this and they're talking. He's like, it's only new. Like, we keep going. We yeah, keep going. <laughs> yeah, they've probably been drinking from the night before and just mm-hmm. going on an all like 72 hour banger. And so, so they go back to Port Stanley. Everybody's recovering and they talk with Naomi and going back a little bit. She, I think 
was still handling a lot mm-hmm. and was like, no, nah, I don't, I don't want to go. But I, I love this moment back on there because they end up having one of, I guess, the soldiers. I'm trying to figure out like what military presence there was on Cascade, whether it's like police soldier comes on. is like, are you, are you Vaz? He's like, yeah. He's like, I got a package for you. Vaz's like, uh, I don't, I don't know who sent this. Like I've been gone for X amount of months. Like maybe some of my old like platoon sent me something for fun or, and you know, just got to me. Cause obviously we're, we're slipping through space. So it mm-hmm. arrived at some random planet, but then he, he realized on the cover, it's not addressed how some of the UNSC would address me. Mm-hmm. I, I, I forget the exact way that they put his name and rank, but he's like, that's wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it's from Spencer's name. And yeah, it's from Spencer's alias back then. Yeah, and so he's automatically like, what's going on? And he opens the package, and it's a small chair. Mm-hmm. And, and it's great, because then it's just a, a... Well, it's so I think it was three things total, because this thing rolled out, and it was like this little kind of like dome, black dome thing. Mm-hmm. And then that little chair and note that says, you know, you know I, I keep my promises. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so then... Vaz goes to Naomi's room mm-hmm. and he says, I, I have something for you. And he puts this dome thing on the table and it's that that little machine that projects Constellations this out. constellation and Vaz just puts his hand behind his head and lays on the ground. Naomi does the same thing and they just watch the constellations. Mm-hmm. And that's the book. Ugh. And I... Well, there's a little bit of a prologue. Yeah, but, but, but that but that that wraps up really Arkilo Five's story. And 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 I cried a little bit at that scene. Dude, I cried a lot to this book. I'm, I, a, I'm gonna be honest, dude, man. Dude. It was it was a tearjerker with it. Like like especially the audiobook, like having someone read that and mm-hmm. like go into emotions. Man, like I'm I'm blown away. I, I, I'm so impressed with this book. I mean I, take away just the Halo aspect, if this was just a sci fi book that we've been following. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's it's so well written. Uh, yeah. And then the prologue just... Oh, my God. The prologue, the prologue now goes into... If you're listening to the audiobook, you hear that it's B.B.'s voice. Mm-hmm. And to find out B.B. was a uh, a neurosurgeon and a, and a psychologist mm-hmm. named uh, Graham J. Albin. And he worked on the Spartan 2 project. And he killed himself. And 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 so going back a little bit, because this goes to the conversation with Perangoski and BB. She had asked Perangoski at first, and then asked Osman. He said, "When it's my time to go, will you pull the plug?" Mm, yeah, yeah. And and this this is so impactful, and it's it's it was a lot to kind of to read, listen to. And he asked Perangoski, "Am I a coward for wanting?" to take like to end it to mm-hmm. commit suicide and she she has a sentence is basically saying you know it's it's crazy it's brave it's hard and it's probably one of the strongest decisions any living being can make because your dna and your program is to stay alive mm-hmm. and to do that it takes a lot to take on and the amount of stress and pain that is involved in that is immense. And, and she's, I don't really think she's talking to BB. She's talking to her friend. She's talking to her friend. Mm -hmm. And she, you know, she even talks about a little bit on the aspects of him that, you know, he was a caring person, these other things. And, and in that last monologue, and I, 
the opening and closing monologues are beautiful in this book. But that last monologue, just talking about how he can't live with doing this to people. Yeah, it's a, it's it's his suicide letter, mm-hmm. and basically saying, you know, we violated human rights. And, yeah. and he said, I'm going to kill myself in the way that best preserves my brain. Yes. Make it. He he said. Make it into an AI that helps people. He mm-hmm. said, "I need to un. I need to right this wrong," and and that's why you know he says, "This is this is what what's going to happen now." Yeah, and it, it's it's a very heavy end of the book, but it's it's so well said and so well done, and didn't need to be there. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad that was there, and I, I'm I'm really glad that's what wrapped it up like both both bookends that ended it with Vaz and Naomi sharing this moment together mm-hmm. like pretty much knowing that Staffan's alive yep and listening to BB's donor and his suicide note and just mm-hmm. the true impact of war and kind of the true impact of the virality and the intensity and the rage of humanity that it brings on itself because that was also a really big thing through these books was talking about Spartans weren't made for aliens. They, they were, were, they were made for killing other humans. Yeah. And, and the, just the amount of impact and you have Vaz throughout all of this, just hating the idea of it. But, mm-hmm. but at, even at one point he even brings up, you know, I, I, he talks about Mendez. He goes, I chewed out this old guy for being a part of this. He goes, but lately, every time I'm asked about this, I have to keep my mouth shut. And he starts to realize I'm part of this. I'm mm-hmm. part of this exact machine that did this. So he kind of comes to terms with the idea of like, I'm not too terribly better than the rest of them. <laughs> no, like what makes me on a higher plane when, when in reality, because that was the thing they talked about too, was this wasn't just Halsey. This wasn't just her or Mendez doing this. There had to be hundreds or thousands of people who allowed this to happen. And there had to be billions of dollars, if not trillions Mm -hmm. of dollars, funding this. There had to be people looking the other way while signing the checkbooks. Yes. Like, so it it really does dive into that morality and, and, and just overall, like, what was for the greater good? Yes. Really. But... Before we we dive too much into what we felt about this book, mm-hmm. let's 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 wrap up a few things. Uh, release versions, you know, we had the hardback cover, uh, paperback, along with uh, audiobook. You know, what does this do for the lore? Mm-hmm. Uh, really, I think first is that we see a bigger impact that this had on families. Yes, because Staffan talks about he met up with other families. Yes, that was one thing we didn't cover with that, but yes, Staffan. Um, I forget it was it was another boy. But met up with that family and like mm-hmm. stayed in contact with them and and kind of had them as part of the resistance as well because they kind of had the same exact situation happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, we also learned that Kigyars may sometimes pick up on human characteristics. Yes, like uh, Chal did. Mm-hmm. Staffan eventually started a new family. So when we learned about him in the previous book, it was just like they kind of painted this really grim picture of yeah. him. They saw him just standing off in the distance with a kig yar and he just kind of looked menacing. But then this book starts off as he's making a a dollhouse for his granddaughter and mm-hmm. he's talking about his new family after he talks about his his you know losing his daughter. Uh, we also learn of BB's human origins. We learn who BB was. 
Uh, and and for me, uh, something really stuck out was just uh, more insight into Naomi and Saren's background before they were abducted. Like, yes. Saren was, you know, she had a broken childhood. She was from a broken home. And, and this Spartan program really, you know, put her on the opposite end of the spectrum of what she could have made of herself. Yeah, I think it did excellent in that. And, and I love these books. Very similar. I know it's some people didn't like it. Some people loved it. Going back to Cold Protocol where it's a story that doesn't have to be told. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, that this did have some impact, obviously, with uh, Jewel Umdama and, and a couple other aspects really starting that. But when it boils down to it, it's really just a really cool side story that... Great side story. ...that needs to be told, but that didn't have to be. Yeah. If, I, if that makes sense. It, well, you see, it's like, oh, we need to learn about the Forerunners because we'll talk about this in a second. Like... You know, that's something people really wanted. But then you just create this whole story arc around this secret Oni squad. Mm-hmm. And and again, some impact that was going on with Halo 4 and whatnot. And I think it was it was amazing. Yes. But, but let's talk about the general reception and reaction of the, the book itself. So the Kilo 5 trilogy was being released around the same time as the Forerunner trilogy written by Greg Bear and was a stark contrast compared to it. While Bear's novels told the story of an alien war over 100,000 years ago, Travis's novels told the story of humans dealing with emotions and moral ambiguity during a tense time in the Halo timeline. Moral Dictata, without a doubt, is one of the most grounded Halo novels to date. Even Polygon's Brian David Gilbert recognizes it as Halo's best series of books. So really quick, we always have to go over the reviews. Goodread users gave it a 4.1 out of 5. Audible users gave it a 4.9 out of 5. Which I believe is the highest for Audible and for Goodreads, I think, for Halo books. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, Amazon users gave it a 4.3 out of 5. Uh, one Walmart user gave it a five out of five, and one thrift books user I gave lo- it a five out of five. I love that. We're going by thrift books users of reviews <laughs> from now on. So if you could, if you want us to do stuff in the future, just review it on thrift books, and, and we'll know. <laughs> and as always, this is where we sit back, relax, let our hair down, and we talk about what did we think of this book, and I guess really a uh, trilogy as a whole. Yeah. So Alex, please, as always, start us off. I'll start off with trilogy. Um, just to kind of give a synopsis of it, mm-hmm. going into the Kilo 5 trilogy, just knowing tidbits of it before this, I'd never read the trilogy. It just seemed as, I thought it was going to be like a spy trilogy. Yeah. Just kind of like implementation. Go you, in. You read the synopsis. And yeah. It's like secret Oni agents. And, then, and that's kind of what it was pitched as, was like, this is where they go behind enemy lines and take care of the baddies. And mm-hmm. like, that was my picturing of it. And the first one held up to that a bit. Um, the second one had a little bit more of that ambiguity into it and a little bit more of like learning the characters and kind of what's, what's really going on and mess ups and some positives. And then the third book really deviated from that entirely, but I think wrapped it up better than I thought it would. Mm -hmm. Originally knowing... Obviously, if you knew the other media that we've covered, which is kind of in the future, but some of it's not, but you kind of figure out what happened to, you know, Jewel Umdama and, and, and some of those things. But the rest of the story, you just think, oh, they'll get the ship back. They'll capture him, blah, blah, blah. Going into this and, and having Vaz be such a titular character in this and to cause such a turmoil 
and to break expectations a lot of times, mm-hmm. I didn't think they'd really tell Stefan that much. Going into it, I thought it'd be like a passing by and then a tragic death and we'd continue on. Yeah. But to have this, have such a sweet ending that in a way is stereotypical, but what endings aren't nowadays, but just did it so well. And and to pull so many different emotions, you know, from a bit of anger at certain points to like you said, like tears, if you can tell a good story, like that's what gets people. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, some of some of these books that we've read, it was marginal sci-fi with Halo slept on the cover. Yeah. And to really bring this into a good story that could survive in any universe. I mean, if you change those out as Star Wars characters or you change those out as Mass Effect characters or something like, or even just a generic kind of setup, I think it would have still done very well. Mm-hmm. And so getting to the book itself, once again, it's the the first three books of the whole Halo series of Fall of Reach, The Flood, and First Strike always have a special place in my heart. I read them on release. I have first editions. No big deal, but I got them. <laughs> um, but those always held a special place in my heart, similar to like anything in childhood does. Mm-hmm. As far as actual books that are great, like this is it. Yes. Uh, I, I, I love Cold Protocol. Contact Harvest is also another great book as like standalones, but this hit like every corner that you need to like have really good storytelling. Mm-hmm. And Travis did amazing. So, I, I mean, I mean, I can dive into every chapter if you want, but I'll keep it at that. Like it's, it's near top tier sci-fi. Yeah, to me, really, I mean, Ghost of Onyx before reading this book was mm-hmm. was the one that really kind of brought me to tears, and then this one did it a lot. Uh, to to me, this was you know as you said, such a different direction than what Travis had given us for those first mm-hmm. two titles, you know, and you kind of saw the evolution of it from the first two books, but this was again just kind of a left field uh, or out of left field, but. It was still so amazing because th- this was a book, I think 95% of it, I was interested. Mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. I cared. You know, like I put this on when I'm I'm working or doing something else. And there's a lot of times I'd stop and just sit there and listen to it as yeah. it was playing. And really it just – I I thought it was great. And the idea that, you know, these these first two – Novels are so many battles going on and all this stuff. In this one, there's there's like what three battles and a torture scene. Like, yeah, I, I mean, if you want to compare this to Greg Bear's similar type setup, mm-hmm. like like first two books were kind of battles, getting to the characters. Then the third book, at least for Greg Bear, stepped back, gave you more insight. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, on the didact and librarian and the whole thing. So I think that took it in its own way. Mm, you know, you know our opinion on it, but <laughs> this took it in a way that not only surprises you, but surprised you in a great way. Yeah, because I mean, it's so many times I was like, "How's Staffan gonna die? Is mm-hmm, Naomi mm-hmm. gonna kill him? What's gonna go on?" Oh, oh, I and, panicked when you texted me, and I was like, "Oh, this is actually a good book so far." You're like, "I feel so bad for Staff," and I'm like, "What do you mean <laughs> you feel so bad for Staff?" Well, dude, when's the last time that we were covering a book and you called me on the phone <laughs> just to talk about the book, just to go, dude? This book is amazing. I'm not even kidding. Yeah. Alex and I texted and, and and talked on the phone about this book while we were reading it because of how excited we were. This is like this is like when you first cracked open like Harry Potter as a mm-hmm. kid. And you're like, 
Oh, Harry, what are you doing? <laughs> Why do you got stones and secrets? <laughs> and and the, the person saying that is from Boston. Exactly. <laughs> but no, I mean, Alex and I multiple times were, were, were texting and talking on the phone about this because it was really uh, just, I think, really impactful for both of us because it was also a, a, it was fresh. We, yes. I don't think we've ever gotten anything like this in Halo to truly, at least in the book medium. Yeah, like, you know, uh, Halo 3 and ODST and Reach had a little bit of sad parts, but really nothing like this. That was just like, you became so invested in these characters. And again, to the fact that when every second that uh, Staffan was learning more about Naomi, it was just like my heart was beating fast, mm-hmm. so fast. But I mean... Yeah, I would say game-wise, obviously ODST came the closest to telling a story like this, mm-hmm. especially Sadie's story. Yeah. Like, like to, to come that's so humanizing to it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it, it, as far as the games, nothing really truly close to like mm-hmm. the way they told this. And, and to me, you know, as I said, Ghost of Onyx was, in my opinion, the best. But I think after reading this, this is, this is my favorite Halo novel now, through and through. Mm-hmm. If, if I'm ranking it... Probably 9.5 out of 10. 9.5 out of 10? You're jumping right to it. 9.5 out of 10? I, I really, I mean, and I, believe it or not, I thought about that rating for a long time, and I said, really, I think that's it? I mean, I that's one of the higher ranks, you know, I've given a book, but I mean, I good book. This is one of the few Halo books where I'll say, I, I will probably revisit it again, because I want to pick up little details I might have missed. If I had to give it a rating, let me set this down real quick. If I had to give it a rating. I would probably go like 17 cheap colony beers in Venencia. Obviously add in some weird bar snacks that you really can't eat, but they're great for throwing at people. Uh, they're just really, really crunchy. It's, it's a tough thing. Even if you soak it in beer, plus beer, obviously. <laughs> Minus uh, Kigyar chickens, plus the taste of them, which would probably be pretty good. Probably be kind of gamey giant chicken meat. <laughs> Divide that by the amount of tears left on my pillow crying into this book that I listened to uh, times how cool Stefan Senska was. Mm-hmm. I mean, that equals best book. I, th- I agree with it wholeheartedly. Good. Good. And yes, and with that, we have sullened you and we'll bring you back for our outro for fun things, cool things, new things, old things, and of course, things. So, of course, we want to start this off by thanking our patrons. We hit you every episode, but just want to thank them because this makes it possible. Mm-hmm. It made us possible to get some really cool stuff started for you guys. The day you're listening to this is not the day I posted it. Posted a cool story on Instagram. We got some really cool stuff coming out for you. That's going to be some visual medium, a couple other things. Very requested things, mind you, that we are going to be giving you guys here soon. It's going to be soon. But want to thank those patrons today. We've got Charles Zitter, Tactics, Skyjack. Harvey Chong, Brendan Reshatar, Angry Canadian, ZZ Slipaway, Grant Dillon, Duststorm, Mr. Chof, Cowan Fong Feliciano, Dragonfire, James Yervasi, Jonas, D Gamer1298, Alejandro Yarmil, Quantum Easy, That LL Gamer Guy, Jamie Sneed, McCray Austin, Mega, Thomas Goulding, Nick Hyman, Tuna0317, Brendan Christian, Richard Scanlon, and let me be frank. And let me be frank with you all. Thank you 
so much for supporting us. Thank you. And if you have any questions about our Patreon, you can find it at patreon.com slash finish the fight. Or if you want to message us on either Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram after you've liked and followed those pages, and you have any questions about that, please let us know. We are happy to answer them. Mm-hmm. And as always, we are on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, YouTube, anything you can think of. You know, Go subscribe to us on any of those channels. Give us a thumbs up. If you want to give us a starred rating, please do that on iTunes as well as you know give us a written review because we love seeing that stuff and it kind of makes us feel very very special yeah and if you haven't already join our discord join our discord um, a lot of discussions there uh, and Justin and I are super active with it love seeing the fans love hearing from you guys what you like what you don't like then we kick you after that if you don't like anything but, no no but the love having you there and and just you know going through this experience with you exactly and lastly we kind of revealed some of this to you guys, um, but our content calendar is shifting through the end of the year. We are going to be shifting for now to covering just the game mediums. Mm-hmm. Um, so you'll be getting your Halo 5 soon. I, I know you requesty guy on Instagram. I know you. It's coming. But yeah, we're going to be finishing up the games. Yeah, we'll be doing, you know, Halo 2 Anniversary, Halo MCC, Halo 5, Wars 2, even Spartan Strike and, and Fireteam Raven. Yeah, and, and one big thing that we're doing... I titulated a little bit we'll be doing some streaming mm-hmm. so we got the gear we got the fun stuff um we're doing a huge new year's eve special let's say mm-hmm. um so tune into our twitch which we'll have linked below and a couple other places for you to go to um we're still getting that ironed out we're two old men figuring twitch out so we got this going for us yeah um but new year's um we got some real big things for you uh so we'll be teasing that some more but this is kind of mm-hmm. just the first little soft announcement we got for you yeah it kind of a 0.5 announcement yeah 0.5 this <laughs> point, is a beta announcement 0.5 uh we will have more answers for you but just know that from now until the end of the year we are we are getting all of those games out of the way with and we're going to have a shift of content here soon so we're really excited and and just ready for 2021 yeah to 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 Zero to one, as they call it. <laughs> oh, as those kids call as it. As those day. kids call it these days. <laughs> and so, yeah, our next episode will be Halo the Master Chief Collection. Mm-hmm. And with that, I'm your host, Jesse Reiners. And I'm your host, Alex Kendall. Thank you for tuning in to Finish the Fight, a Halo podcast. Halo, it's finished. No, I think we're just getting started. <laughs>